Greetings from Tromaville. I'm Lloyd Kaufman, president of Troma Entertainment and creator of the Toxic Avenger. You know, folks, when we're not making those great Troma movies like Terra Firma or Tromeo and Juliet, we like to kick back and listen to the mixtape podcast because that's where I get all my information. I don't need the New York Times. Thank you, mixtape podcast. Uncle Lloydie loves you. Lisa Loeb and Bill and Ted together. (laughs) Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Who has a mixtape? We Who needs a mixtape? You Who makes a mixtape? We Who needs a mixtape? You I feel like I just did this, but you're here on the Mixtape Podcast, and I am Jason Emmett. Hi, fellas. I'm Casey Masterpiece. Jesus fucking <laughs> That caught me completely off guard, but this is supposed to get mad. <laughs> it caught all of us off guard. What the hell was that? Today I'm 1920 years old. I'm <laughs> It's Kevin's new character. Jeez. Kevin number two in 1920s old time. Winston Churchill's is not going to happen. <laughs> what is Young black Teddy Roosevelt is surrounded again. Young black Teddy Roosevelt. What a fun night that was, man. He's just standing there posing by the fire just with a leg up and that big ass mustache. And yeah, white... I still need to find that picture. <laughs> white cowboy hat. Somebody's like, oh my God, you look like young black Teddy <laughs> And it became a whole thing that night. With along with like he, the adventures, the adventures of young black Teddy Roosevelt needed to be a TV right. show with, uh, with George Washington with his Carver. sidekick George Washington who White, makes every yeah who makes everything White out of pe- yeah Carver. who makes everything yeah, like out, of out of peanuts <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, we did say there was a peanut power jetpack, and right, yeah, it was great, man. It was so much fun. We we did have fun that night. Kevin right. ended up being uh, featured predominantly in that music video. I think you see my shoulder. <laughs> so we were in. A, I think that video is still on YouTube. It probably is. And I just watched it after the fact. <laughs> we were, I wasn't involved. We used to have um, a friend of the show, uh, Kelly Combrink, who John, oh. you you will know from. Um, Night of the Living podcast. If you guys have not checked them out, you should go check them out. They've God, they're a horror podcast that's been around for a long time. Uh, they do a lot of cool a stuff. Since like the late the late nineteen seventies. So probably. Kelly used to be since the late nineteen seventies. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they were podcasting before uh, there was even internet. Yep. They were just with they had like a couple of cans and some string. Yeah, <laughs> they were just. <laughs> Um, they did it all live, just straight to. They used to, they used to carve it into stone tablets and shit. On the next episode of the 1920s Night of the Living Podcast, check out Here this horror story. Thanks, Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, just, Kevin just sort of felt. Check out I this, this transatlantic horror. Kevin Casey masterpiece Coleman. On, on this episode, back at you over the airway. On this episode of Night of the Living Podcast, I don't know. 
Anyway, go check out Night Living Podcast. But Kelly used to be in a band called Pike, and they filmed a music video. And they were looking for people to play zombies. And uh, we showed up, and they made us into zombies. And Kevin was wearing a giant mustache and a white cowboy hat. And uh, he, (laughs) if you watch the video, go look for uh, Pike... What was the song? It was it was like the summer of seventy nine or something like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, yeah. Like it's about the song's about uh, 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 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which yeah. is weird that they featured zombies. But you know, if you watch that video, the uh, head banging cowboy hat wearing zombie that's Kev. So hey, not a lot's changed. <laughs> He's pretty much yep. the same guy. Um, now, that my same my question for you, Kevin, was: mm-hmm. Did they put you in the hat and mustache, or did no, you just that was them? I just showed up. Yeah, that's mine. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> this goes into this. This goes further into the mythology of Kevin. Yes, pretty and, much. And yeah. there is a mythology to Kevin. You're not wrong there. Well, I'm not just a man, but I'm an adventurer. He's a myth. He's a legend. <laughs> yes. So, uh, guys. We want to uh, give a quick shout out to a couple podcasts. Not a bomb. We just mentioned Night of Living podcast. Uh, Not a bomb podcast. The really cool guys over there. They talk about movies that uh, aren't bombs. Whether they should be or not is regardless. Although sometimes I think they agree that they are bombs, but mostly they have nice things to say about movies that a lot of people consider not great. So go check them out. Uh, we've talked about uh, Hey You Guys a few times on this show. You should check them out, too. A couple of great dudes. They talk about stuff you'd like. If you like this show, you should go check out their show. And and honestly, if I don't say most importantly, I feel like I will hurt him because it is most importantly. You need to go listen to Scream Queens with a Z and our friend, Mr. Patrick Walsh. Uh, and uh, keep in mind, every Sunday he does the like drive-in movie theater thing that he does. I really wish I could watch tonight's, but I cannot. It's it's hard for me on Sundays. That's the only bummer for me is Sunday nights are always difficult for me. But uh, Matt has said in on those, and he says they are a blast. So Yeah, they are quite fun. If you don't remember Patrick, he did the Looker episode with us, Twisted Kid Looker episode, and Patrick is just one of those personalities that's fun to be around at all times. So go over there, listen to his show, check it out, and sit in on those as well because you'll have a blast. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and we have friends who do other podcasts as well, and uh, I think the plan is to kind of have some of them on the show here over the next few months and just kind of sit down with them and talk about some fun shit with them, and uh, they can introduce their podcast to you, and you can go check those out as well. So you guys should be listening to them, uh, but you should be listening to us. And uh, if you have the opportunity to do so, please leave us a review and tell your friends about us wherever you may listen to your podcast at if they have a way to leave a review. We would appreciate it. Growing the show helps the show immensely. Um, It just, we can do a lot more, and we've been doing a bunch. There are a lot of things in the works. As you guys know, we did the trauma screening a little while back. We're working on some other stuff as well. And today's episode, you know, it's just highlights some of the stuff that we, Kevin and I, were discussing after the episode about maybe doing a um, film festival for, for, for some short films, you know, things like that, so... And we are located in two areas, so the Cincinnati area and, of course, the Kansas City area. So things may be branching out. You may get to – so if you're anywhere near either of those areas, hopefully in the future you'll be able to meet up with us. And we did. We got to meet some really cool listeners, and and we had a great time at the trauma screening. So we want Matt to be able to participate in those things as well and get to do some of that stuff too and and get some of our listeners. We'll be be like Eastern (laughs) – 
Coast. I, they call us Midwest. Why do they call Ohio Midwest? We're not really uh, no, mid. We're not, <laughs> we're not West either. Uh, and then, then like right in the middle. I mean, Kansas City's getting towards the middle of the U.S. So yeah. we're we're branching. Then we just need some California. And then we've got the you know we've got it covered because we got Patrick over there in New York, Skiznot's out in California. So you know there you go. Yeah, we actually have a, a music festival out here called Middle of the Map Festival. So. See, you guys are the middle of the map. That's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a good friend of the show, uh, Brother D, Derek Cook, he's over there in Oregon. So you know we talk to him too. We got friends over in Indiana. So we're you know there's potential for us to talk to people everywhere and maybe find out about stuff going on in their areas and we can share that with you guys uh, down the road uh, head over to the website www.themixtapepod.com uh, all the information on the show is available there including the link tree which Matt has set up for us it has all of our contact information our Twitters our Instagrams the Facebook fan page which is doing really well music playlist for all the music episodes the Spotify list Spotify. yeah the Spotify list are up there um, and we have had people ask about those so there, there you go. Now you know where to find them. Uh, you can go. And uh, by the way, while we're on the subject of those, the road trip episode we did recently, mm-hmm. uh, we are still taking submissions for entries onto that playlist from you fellow the uh, listener, listeners. The listener uh, Spotify room. list. The show one is yep, up. Ours is up. And uh, the, the listener one, I think, might actually be up as well. You're and just going to add to it. It's being added to over time. That's kind of a cool idea. I like that. What are you saying? Uh, if you have songs from the '90s that you would put on a road play, uh, uh, road trip mixtape, uh, send those over to us. You can email us or send them, shoot them over on Twitter or Instagram or the Facebook page, and uh, we'll add them to that list. Songs that our listeners recommend, and there's already a list up, and he'll just add them to it. So that's cool. I like that idea. A little participation. Uh, the uh, it is, uh, officially live as of right now. Tape Worms, fans of the Mixtape Podcast, is our uh, Facebook fan page. Uh, that page, I'm not going to lie, kind of set it up, and got we got some people on it pretty fast, and uh, it's a lot of fun. People post some goofy stuff over there, and we have some fun discussions. Uh, one of the things that happened at the trauma screening was we ran into an old uh, friend of ours and uh, mixed, not mixtape, but obscure 80s alum, one Mr. Richard McBeef. <clears throat> Richard is a good friend of ours. And we kind of caught back up with him. And he used to sit in with us uh, on the Obscure 80 show back in the day. And I think um, we kind of talked to him about coming on and doing a few episodes of this with us here and there. So I think he's excited about that. And so you might hear, you might get to hear from a real celebrity, Shaggy Shaggy and Scooby. (laughs) (laughs) Got to go back and listen to Obscure 80s if you can find it to understand what we mean. Please don't. Just don't. I listened to some episodes. I'm like, God, we were assholes. We still are, but we were way well respected. I wasn't, what was on as woke? <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, you 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, the 2010s. So on today's episode, we are uh, going to be speaking to comedian, writer, as he puts it, not all so around, great, great guy. not so great actor. <laughs> yes, all around wonderful dude. He was a wonderful dude. Uh, Joey Clift. Uh, if you don't know who Joey is, like I said, he's a comedian, but mostly he's a comedy writer. That's what it, where he makes most of his living as a comedy writer. Uh, he's worked on uh, some Looney Tunes projects, Lego Ninjago, Lego Ninjago, Lego Ninjago. Uh, Swamp Talk with Shrek and Donkey. Uh, he wrote for Cracked, uh, True TV, Sci-Fi, 
Siffy, some of you know it better as. Uh, of course, the, he, he's written on The Nerdist, um, Funny or Die, College Humor, Tosh.0. So he's definitely out there, and he's done a bunch. We do talk to him in this interview about um, his time with The Nerdist. We, so, and I'll kind of give a real brief, I think we mentioned it in the, in the, in the interview, but uh, last weekend, I think it was, we were, uh, I was out with Kevin, and we were talking about how Tommy Wiseau had said he, he thought he should play the Joker. Oh, and, yeah. and the nerdist uh, reached out to him and did like a a uh, audition tape of Tommy Wiseau as the Joker, and Kevin had never seen it, <laughs> so I pulled it up, and we're watching this. And if you know Tommy Wiseau, well, he he's definitely his own character, and yeah, he's uh, an interesting person. We'll he say. C- comes off as a little crazy, but in a fun way. And while normally you might not call him a great actor. <laughs> We watched him and we're like, Kevin's like, I actually, I think he would work. I'm like, oh my God, he would be yeah. great as the Joker <laughs> because yeah. he wasn't that bad. The genuine insanity would like yeah. just, it would play so well. The overacting, it works for something like the Joker. Well, as happenstance would have it, I didn't know this at the time when we were talking about it. So how, how weird is that? When we were standing at the brewery, we were at Humble Monk and we were talking about this. I did not know mm-hmm. that Joey Clift had written for that. He was part of that, the Tommy Wiseau thing for the Nerdist. So I found that out. We talked to him a little bit about that. On top of all that, he's a huge fan of Garfield, the comic strip, not so much the movie, although oddly enough, we had just talked to Stephen Tobolowsky, so I mentioned that to him. (laughs) So that we in the Garfield movie. He was in the Garfield movies, yes. And we he actually tells the story here in this interview of how the Garfield movies came about for Bill Murray, which is very interesting. Uh, very, very interesting how and, how uh, they got Bill real, Murray. Real quick, speaking of weird connections that we've made in the past, um, Bill Murray is in Groundhog Day with Stephen Tobolowsky, and Stephen Tobolowsky is in Garfield with Bill Murray. It all comes Coincidence? Well, no, man, you just listed both of them in the same movie. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I know, but, it you, coincidence? but you said but you said Bill Murray is in Groundhog's Day with Stephen Tobolowsky and Stephen Tobolowski. I mean, no, it's not. I mean, I'm assuming yeah. they're friends at this point. I don't I don't know I how it worked. So. Yeah. I, I assume that's Bill how Bill Murray, come on the show. Tell us how that's going. Yeah, you got to call that yeah. weird phone number and hope that he accepts. <laughs> Dude, we should do that. We should just do it. Well, I don't have his phone number. Yeah, I'll call it. No, we... It's it's like I believe public. Really? God, I think so. How does he filter through that? that? I don't know. Oh no! <laughs> hey man, we're a podcast. Let's look it up. <laughs> um, Bill Murray's. So phone we thought we'd briefly and very briefly. And we're doing this in honor of Joey. Um, Joey's a huge Garfield the Cat fan. Yeah, he hasn't worked on Garfield, but he's a huge Garfield the Cat fan. And we have a little discussion about how I became a Garfield fan as a kid and how similar his story was as to how he found Garfield to mine and it's really cool but I think there's probably not many people in the world that aren't fans of Garfield like at least the comic strips and the old cartoons I I've, I think most people loved it there are some things I didn't know about it uh, so we all know it's created by Jim Davis right we all knew that it came out uh, actually originally created in 1976 it was called John it wasn't called Garfield until 1978 so originally it's called John, which John is Garfield's owner, John Arbuckle. Um, there's also his dog Odie and a bunch of other characters. Normal, <laughs> normal, yeah, ends up getting introduced and. 
bunch of other characters throughout the course of things. Um, it won a Guinness World Record for being the most widely syndicated comic strip of all time, which I can I can see that really cool. Yeah. Jim Davis. So most people don't know this, but because they rarely they don't really talk about it a lot. But the comic strip, the whole thing takes place in Jim Davis's hometown of Muncie, Indiana, which is uh, where I believe Scott Morris, who does the Disney Indiana podcast, I believe Muncie is his hometown too. So, hey, you got that in common, man. Muncie, Indiana for both of them. But Garfield's a really cool strip. One of the things that has always made it kind of uh, kind of a really big deal is that there's no political angle with Garfield. It is strictly what it is. They, 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 he's not ever trying to make any, like, social except for that dieting is bad and eating lasagna is good he doesn't really go for any like social messages being very (laughs) anti-mondays he's very anti-monday but we we can all relate to that right i love mondays Mondays suck monday Monday. Odie is pro monday garfield is anti-monday so garfield hates Odie, man but does he really i think i think when it comes down to it he's his protector yeah, I think he loves Odie. Yeah. Odie's just Not as much as he loves lasagna, but he yeah. probably... And he hates Mondays. And he hates Mondays. Uh, and he loves his teddy bear. What's his teddy bear's name? Do you guys remember? He's like a teddy bear. Oh. He talks to like his best friend all the time. So in case you guys don't know, like for us as kids, um, you know, there were Garfield, the Garfield and Friends cartoons, and it was a lot of Garfield... Um, Pookie. S- Pookie, thank you. Um, there were a lot of... Uh, <laughs> Wait, you were there, saying the name of the bear. Baby of Pookie you were saying the name of the bear. You weren't just trying to get my attention, were you? Hey, hey, hey Pookie. Pookie. Yes, I was saying the name of the bear. <laughs> yes, love. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't start referring to me as Pookie from now on. <laughs> we're interviewing somebody. They're like, just Pookie? Do it yes, during we an, did. Uh, during an interview. Hold on. Hey, Pookie. <laughs> right in the middle of an interview. <laughs> oh, Steven Dolask is just like, um... What? <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's just, <laughs> it's just how we refer to each we, other. We, we've known each other for a while. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, in case you were wondering, there is a beanie baby of Pookie. That is cool, so. actually. Yeah. So I didn't know this. He's still making the the books uh, from the comic strips. Like in as of January 2022, there have been 73 of those books released. Jeez. And I remember just as a kid loving like Garfield at large and Garfield bigger than life. Like... Garfield tips the scale. Like these were all ones like as a kid that I remember going and buying at those uh, the book fairs, which we do talk about in the interview. Yeah. So it was always takes a huge Manhattan. <laughs> Garfield takes Manhattan. Garfield four. Yeah. <laughs> the quest for peace. Yeah. <laughs> Garfield two electric boogaloo. <laughs> but it Garfield just... does Dallas. Oh God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Garfield had hit some hard times. <laughs> <laughs> had to do something. You know, I'm, you know what's funny? I meant to ask him, and I totally <laughs> forgot during the interview. There's always been a, um, a like fan theory that Garfield is dying and telling like this is what's flashing through his brain as he's dying. And I guess there's actually uh, weird stuff to support why people think this. But I always think these fan theories are weird. Like where they even come up. Like, <laughs> do you think Jim Davis was like? Shh, turns out, cat's been dying whole time. <laughs> like, probably 
not. <laughs> Spry was never in his uh, thought process. But uh, we just kind of wanted to bring up Garfield a little been bit. Dying for the past forty years. Jeez. We just we kind of wanted to bring up Garfield just a little bit because Joey is a big fan, and we do talk to him a little bit about Garfield. So he 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 gets very happy when Kevin asks him about Garfield. So he's like, I'm so glad you brought that up. So, uh, but yeah, really check this interview out. Joey's a great dude. He'll tell you where you can find out more about him, including, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but one of the podcasts he did in the past, which Matt, wait till you hear about this. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, it's kind of genius. I was not on the episode for, for those who it's, uh, it's genius why they just said that. In a very um, so, yeah. Kaufman kind of way. Like Andy Kaufman? Andy Kaufman, yeah. Not yeah. Lloyd. Okay. <laughs> that's a whole different... Well, I, you need to clarify. You're right. Point. You're right. I should have. That's a, Is that's a Lloyd Kaufman? That's or? a whole different kind of genius, no. But uh, Andy Kaufman kind of way. Kaufman-esque sort of way. So. Even so let's go ahead and kick off the interview with Joey, um, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, tell you guys a few other things you need to know, and then we'll let you go for the night. So uh, here you go. Here is our interview with Joey Glift. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey. hey. How's it going, man? Well, it's it's um, it's actually awesome to have you on here, man. Uh, we Kev Kev told me he reached out to you, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So we're pretty excited to talk to you. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to I, I, look any opportunity to talk about comics and <laughs> cartoons. I'm fully on board for. So you are All a right. comedian slash writer slash actor. Uh, how I think probably writing is what you do the most, correct? Uh, yeah, I would say I'm a comedian, TV writer, and not a very good actor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do my like. I feel like my my range is very small and specific. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm. I would say um, the way that I try to try to think about it is I'm like a writer performer, but leaning like really hard toward writer. So like you know I'll act, I'll you know be in things, I'll do podcast interviews and stuff like that. But like kind of the, the way I the way I pay those bills is uh, primarily through TV writing. So how did, how did you get into TV writing? Honestly, I, we've talked to, you know, actors before. We've talked to singers before. But I think you might be the first, like, TV writer I've ever spoke to. So how, how did that come about? Wow. Oh, man, that's so much pressure to represent all TV writers. All of um, them. Every one of them. <laughs> yes, everyone from the first writer on the Dick Van Dyke show yes. to, the guest, to the room of Big Mouth. <laughs> so, um. You know, as, as I'm sure you probably guessed, um, making it in Hollywood and uh, getting your foot in the door is like, you know, it's always kind of like a windy process. There's not really a lot of direct paths. Sure. Um, my story is that um, I grew up really loving, really loving comedy shows, uh, you know, like the, the Simpsons, Family Guy, stuff like that were my jam. But I'm mm -hmm. a Native American world member of the Calitz Indian tribe based out of Southern Washington State. Because there weren't any Native comedians on TV, I didn't think I was like allowed to work in comedy. So um, instead, I went to school to be a small market TV weather guy. Because <laughs> uh, they get to like crack jokes, network personalities. So it like, made sense as to how I could, you know, get my foot in the door in comedy. And I'm, when I was in college, fortunately, much of my professors kind of saw what I was thinking and pulled me aside and gave me just the very obvious advice of like, hey, you know, you could just work in comedy, right? <laughs> And uh, that was a shock to like 25 year old Joey. <laughs> so um, I moved to Los Angeles in around 2010 and um, through alumni connections, got my first job um, being a, like an assistant to the guys who created the show Scare Tactics on Sci-Fi hosted by Tracy Morgan. And, um, you know, they were, you know, comedy writers in their, you know, 40s and 50s. And they um, I had a lot of questions for them about like, yeah, how does one make it in comedy? And um, they suggested that like, 
a really great way that people get their start is through the Los Angeles comedy theaters. So places like the Upright Citizens Brigade, Groundlings, Second mm. City, and stuff like that. Right. So I like went, saw a bunch of shows, really responded to what I was seeing on stage at UCB. It was just like the like cool, fun, like alt punk, alt comedy theater, which was very much like my jam of what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, really just jumped into that scene and like just was fully dedicated to kind of like working my way up through that. And then while I was doing that, I, you know, met a lot of other great, you know, comedians, writers, and um, actually got placed on a sketch group with a guy who, while I was on the sketch group with him, he sold a um, relaunch of Looney Tunes. Like right, I saw that, yeah. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he just like liked working with me on the sketch group. I like gave him notes on like early cuts of his kind of like test reel that he was making to kind of, you know, see if it was going to get greenlit or not. And um, yeah, so when he sold it, he just said like, hey, Joey, do you want to write Bugs Bunny shorts? And I was like, well, this, is a, this is a real question being asked of me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I said yes. And then, um, you know, that was probably like one of the most surreal early Hollywood moments for me was writing like character name Bugs Bunny line of dialogue. What's up, Doc? What's up, in a Doc? script <laughs> and like and like mean it and knowing like oh, I'm getting paid for this. This is going to get made. And um, that sort of like through the through the path of um, the way the way Hollywood jobs often work, like things like that led to writing for like, you know, uh, various comedy websites and um, other kind of like, you know, animated digital series or for like a, Sh a Shrek digital series in 2016 and like a Lego Ninjago digital series for Cartoon Network in like 2017 was a staff writer for like Nerdist, places like Break.com and a ton of other just like comedy websites for sketch comedy and things like that. And then like my career just kind of slowly narrowed specifically to like animation writing and, um, you know, a lot of that is through, you know, making friends and meeting people and sure. word of mouth. And, um, you know, and now I'm a writer slash consulting producer on a show called Spirit Rangers on Netflix that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I was, I was reading a little bit about that. So is this is what I heard is it was like the first all Native American writers room. Is that accurate or is it? Yeah, it's um, it's the it's the first show kids show in the history of United States animation, like created by a native person, the genius UMass TV writer, Chris Valencia. Um, with an all native writers room, like native characters played by native actors. We've got like native folks all over the team on it. And um we're not we're not the first all native writers room period okay. in TV. That goes to Reservation Dogs, which is like a live action show on FX that's really dope. Sure. I know that show yeah, too. It's a great we're, show. Yeah. But we're we're the first in like US kids animation. That's really US cool. US animation. That's actually really, period. really cool though. So Oh yeah. yeah, it's just like it's it's one of those things where it's not like you don't even think that something like that is like possible to right. have happen. Uh, like when my um, when Carissa and I got coffee to potentially talk about the show, we met like two weeks before the pandemic started in like February of 2020. And when she was explaining to the show, I was just like, this is a show I didn't even think could exist. And I'm being asked to write <laughs> on it. This is wild. <laughs> That's awesome. I've seen clips of the show and it like the animation looks really cool, but I am. I'm like a 40 something year old man. Am I allowed to watch this show? <laughs> like, is it okay? Am I going to be weird if I watch it? <laughs> look, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not out yet. It comes out later this year. Right. But, um, look to Netflix, a view is a view. I don't <laughs> care. Like I'm going to be telling my friends, just play this on loop for like a couple of days. There you you go. Can put it on mute in the background while you're doing your day. Just like do us a solid, you know? Hey, some of those Netflix kid shows do like gangbusters right now. Like they're really knocking oh, yeah. it out. So you know. Oh yeah. Well, there's like there's good stuff in the kids space. Like one of my favorite shows last year was um a show called Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts, which was just this like 
cool post-apocalyptic show that was basically like the Super Nintendo video game Earthbound if it was like a cartoon okay. for kids. And um, yeah, it's like, I don't know, like, as I'm sure that like y'all are definitely aware of, like cartoons, even if like the intended audience is for kids, <laughs> cartoons are like so much more complex than that. And yes. then there's also like cool adult cartoons like Invincible on Amazon. Oh, it's just, yeah, like an hour long drama that's animated and it's amazing. Yeah. Or like, you know, like Harley Quinn on HBO Max or like shows like The Simpsons, you know, Family mm. Guy and stuff like that. Like, you know, if it's a cartoon, that doesn't mean it's kids stuff. Well, you know, I got to figure if if you've done some writing on it, maybe there'll be the occasional joke that we'll get. We'll be like, yeah, <laughs> like he, he slipped that <laughs> yeah, in for us I, adults. <laughs> look, I look, I hope so. That's my I feel like I feel like as a writer, like especially as a comedy writer, the first audience I'm writing for is myself. Like I want to write something that'll make me laugh, you know, and then like. I don't know. If other people find it funny, I'm just like, ah, bonus. You well, know? they must. <laughs> I mean, you must be doing yeah, something, yeah. right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, um, oh, God, there's so much to unwrap with you. You've done, you've written for so much. There's, there's just a bunch out there, but, uh, you've done, you did, uh, you, you worked with the Nerdist and were, am I mistaken or did you have something to do with the Tommy Wiseau Joker? Uh, yes. So, okay. <laughs> um, what I, what I did with that, um, the, Initial idea came from uh, a guy named Andrew Bowser, who's a really great writer-director. And um, I was a, like an in-house staff writer at Nerdist. So that just meant that like, you know, I had a desk in the bullpen and sure. my, my job was writing, um, you know, sketch comedy videos and a couple of like different web series that they had going. So, you know, it was just one of those things where like Andrew came over to my desk and said, hey, we want to do a thing with like Tommy Wiseau where he's like auditioning to be the Joker in the, um, you know, the recent, you know, Joker movie that came out a year or two ago. Yeah, that was the plan is like, yeah, they wanted Tommy Wiseau to audition for the Joker because I think he tweeted about how he wanted to audition for it. So we were like, oh, yeah, it'd be funny if we filmed that audition. So um, my basically it was just like my job for a couple of days to like figure out like, OK, what well, like how what is like the log line for that? How do we how do we like how do we sell that up the chain? And like, how do we pitch that to Tommy Wiseau? So I wrote like kind of like developed the idea outside of it would be funny if time I was out auditioned to be the Joker. I like figured out like, OK, what, what would be the funniest Joker quotes that he said from Batman movies and TV shows and all that stuff? So I'd say like I played like I didn't like I didn't come up with the idea, but I helped like develop it. And um, I one of my biggest regrets is um, I was invited to be on set for that. And I think I said no because I had like a UCB show oh. or something like that at the same time. <laughs> But I, I could have been in the same room as Tommy Wiseau oh, wearing man. Joker makeup, looking real creepy. You know, what's funny is uh, we were talking about that the other day, and Kevin never seen it, so we we pulled it up. And we, we were all sort of in agreement that, yeah, he would actually make a really great Joker because he, he comes off insane, and it works. Like, it works. So that's the thing is, like, you watch, you know, you see the tweet of, like, Tommy Wiseau, um, like Tommy Wiseau wants to audition to be the Joker. Right. And you, you know, you kind of laugh it off because Tommy Wiseau has like a specific, you know, vibe or whatever. But mm. then you like think about it and you're like, there's like a, a world where you could see him yes. getting <laughs> cast right. as the Joker in like a TV series or something. And it's like his energy is like, is, isn't not Joker-esque, you know? Right, right. Very <laughs> much so. It kind of worked. So I told Kevin, I was like, dude. Uh, Joey worked on that. He's like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, we'll ask him about it." <laughs> it's like we'll totally ask him about it. So, yeah, that's that's really cool. But I mean, that's not that's not all, man. You've you've worked in a bunch of areas. You talked about the Looney Tunes thing, so that was 
my childhood come back. He talked about Ninjago, which um, my kids are going to be totally like, are you serious? Because my son was like a huge Ninjago fan. Oh, yeah, that was that was a fun job where I I guess I'm going to fully admit I did not know what Ninjago Ninjago (laughs) was until I was brought in to interview for the job. And um, they sent me like a couple of documents and I was like, oh, Lego Ninjago, what's that? Oh, it's the most popular show for kids possible. (laughs) It's got six seasons and it's yeah, like um, it's and like I I sat down and like I I marathoned the show while writing the series just to make sure I was, you know, coming from an educated place while writing about it. And like, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. When I had, you know, having younger kids back in the day and they'd want to watch certain things, it's like. Every once in a while, I'd get lucky and <laughs> they'd watch something that I was like, yeah, that's great. And I liked that show a lot. It was a lot of fun. So, there, you know, my son's older now, but he's going to be totally jealous. Like, you talked to somebody who wrote for Ninjago? I'm like, yeah, I did. So, yeah. And well, uh, no, I have and, to watch it. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably like, and there's, there's so much Lego Ninjago lore. There's like a full Lego Ninjago Jago encyclopedia you can buy on Amazon. And like, I mean, that was it was a it was a short job. So I think we had three weeks to write like a ton of episodes of this thing. And I'm like, I also had to like become a Lego Ninjago expert real fast. So I like <laughs> I remember taking like the the metro train in Los Angeles to the office just so I could have an extra hour a day to like read the Lego Ninjago encyclopedia on the train while driving to work or while writing to work to like write about Lego Ninjago just so I could be like, I need to know like what all these like spinjitsu moves are so that like the fans don't get mad at me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. It sounds like a wonderful job though. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing for work today? Well, I have to read about Lego Ninjago. So it <laughs> doesn't yeah, sound yeah, yeah. horrible. doesn't sound horrible. Yeah. It's sort of, okay. So it's sort of, it was like, it was like, oh, I had to read about Lego Ninjago and then I had to like panic write about Lego Ninjago from like 8 a.m. until like, 11 p.m. <laughs> and then I had to like wake up and then read about Lego Ninjago at like 6 a.m. to like it was basically like if you like Lego Ninjago it's like that uh it's like that Simpsons clip where like Homer really likes donuts so demons are cramming donuts into his mouth and they can't <laughs> and he's like I mean and he's like I mean like look I guess I still like donuts at the end of this but it would be cool if I could like have maybe like a couple donuts a day instead of a million donuts a day you know Oh man, that's pretty apt. I like I like that description. That works. So. Yes. <laughs> so all right, we we gotta we've got to talk about it because um, it's out there. I, everybody knows it. <laughs> the, if you if you look you up, the first picture we all see is you in that cat suit. So uh, we need to talk about the the group on Facebook that you have that is pretty much just comedians showing pictures of their cats. This is a thing, right? This is a real thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for asking about my true pride in life. Um, yeah, I, uh, I created a Facebook group in I think 2016, 2017 called the LA Underground Cat Network. That um, is a Facebook group just for comedians to share pictures of their cats. Awesome. It has I think fifteen thousand. Oh members. my god, that's wonderful! Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's the sort of thing where like you know I've written for like a lot of shows and done a lot of different things, but like if I go to a party in Los Angeles, <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me about. Looney Tunes. Everybody is just like, "Wait, are you the Cat Network guy?" And then I'm like, "Yeah, I am." And then they're like, "Okay, here's my cat. His name's Buttons." And they'll pull out their phone and show me their cat. Uh, so it's truly my legacy in life. How many? How many so, cats do you have? 
Um, okay, so this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a bomb drop for the podcast. Uh-oh. I actually do not have any cats. What? <laughs> yeah, I um, it, no, I like I do love cats. It's just my my roommate's not a cat person. I get that. I don't wanna, like yeah. force cats on somebody who doesn't like cats. Gotcha. But um, the, a benefit of the group is that a lot of people in the group know this. So um, I get invited to like cat sit for people a lot, and like. I get invited to like, you know, just come over to people's places and just hang out with their cats because people people know I love people know I got to love those cats. So, uh, you know, it's like I feel like people are people are giving me my like temporary cat nicotine batch until I can like <laughs> actually get a cat. And then I'm just like mainlining looking at a cat all day. No, I know the feeling, man. I've had a few throughout my life. I'm a big fan. I People always say, are you a cat person or a dog person? I'm like, yes. Like, I just I just like animals. But with my ex, I couldn't have cats. So I haven't had one for a while, and uh, I'm actually getting ready, uh, getting married soon, and we're moving, we're moving into a house, a new house next weekend, and she she likes cats, and I'm like, ooh, is this mean we can get a cat? So I thought, I thought you were gonna say I'm getting married soon to a cat. <laughs> well, you know, as his best friend, I had a little bit of a problem with that, but you know, <laughs> with, with me marrying a cat, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's very funny. Uh, congrats, congrats. Have you do you? Have you figured out, do you know what kind of cat you want? And have you figured out like a potential name for that cat? Or are you going to like let the cats? Pers- so, no, I usually let the animal's personality come out a little bit. The only rule I have about animal names, I don't like naming an animal a person's name unless there's a reason for it, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not like, this is John. I'm like, <laughs> no, I like if it's named after a specific person, that's fine. But I always mm-hmm. think it's weird. Um, but I always like the um, animal to kind of express who they are and i'm like yeah that that uh you know let the name come after that so you know to me i feel like you can't go wrong with like a food name for a cat right you name a cat like muffin or something or like (laughs) spaghetti it's like like i had a cat for a while named freddie after freddie mercury because i'm a huge queen fan so that makes that work for me uh I i feel like i feel like cat names are very like you might come up with a name for the cat, but like over the span of a couple of years, it's just going to stop being that word and it's just yeah. going to become like a noise you make at the cat. <laughs> I like it's that. Like, it's like, you know, like if you name it Freddy, it's like it eventually becomes like floofy or something. And then eventually <laughs> it's just like blah, blah, or whatever. And that's just the noise you make at the cat that it looks at you. That's, when you, that's fair. You say it. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> now, speaking of cats, Uh-oh. we hear that you're a fan of Garfield. Is that true? Oh, I am a huge fan of Garfield, and I'm very excited that you mentioned that. Yeah, I, um, yeah, growing up, I was a really big fan of Garfield comics, and um, then uh, as an adult comedian, I uh, I feel like most of my comedy is centered around doing doing stuff about Garfield. I um, uh, let's see, what well, I'm trying to think of like, oh, there's so many Garfield things to talk about. Um, like I on Twitter, um, I guess to to give you the extent of my Garfield love. I um I want to say it was November of 20 uh 21 I made a tweet that was basically like if I get 10,000 Twitter followers by the end of the year I'll film myself eating Garfield eating lasagna with my bare hands like Garfield <laughs> thought I was going to get it in like you know a month and a half got it within maybe 10 hours oh, nice. <laughs> so I filmed myself eating lasagna with my bare hands like Garfield I had to cover my kitchen in a tarp to make it happen <laughs> I spent $200 worth of Olive Garden lasagna on this um, and I don't know yeah I've like I um, I feel like I've done a lot of like bits and comedy pieces that are like centered around Garfield I'm not an I'm not like a visual artist but I've definitely like 
paid friends to like make custom Garfield comic strips that I write, you know, just because I like the character and think it's fun to kind of play in that world. Yeah, so, I, uh, that was probably yeah, man, Garf forever. When I was a kid, man, I remember like buying the Garfield, like the books, the comic strip books, just mm-hmm. nonstop. They would have those like uh, the the book fair days at school, and that's all any of us wanted to buy were the Garfield books because they were like awesome uh, and consistently one of the best, like one of the better comic strips too. I I feel like you know we yeah I um. Like uh, I specifically remember my my intro to Garfield was kind of a similar deal where I was I was at like a book fair in my elementary school and um, my mom was there with me because I think it was like it was I was like young enough that it's like your parents kind of have to go and like buy the books for you when you're there. And um, like I remember going across sort of like the shelves of the books and um, seeing a Garfield book, which like kind of combined my two loves, which is uh comedy and cats and uh also i like the color orange a lot so it's like it basically was like the the um the venn diagram of my three interests garfield was in the center of it so i like begged my mom to buy me this book we didn't have a ton of money so she she, like really she was like okay my kid really wants this and like i must have read that book a hundred times i think it was just like in my backpack or on my person pretty much for like two or three years of my life when i was in like elementary school so uh, yeah, Garfield's great. It's just like it's it's just a funny, inoffensive comic strip that's like I think a really good entry point for so many people into just like comedy, you know? Right. It's weird. It comes full circle because I told you we just talked to uh, Stephen Tobolowsky and he's in the Garfield movies. <laughs> so I, what? Yeah, yeah. He's in. He so of course he met uh, Bill Murray on the set of uh, Groundhog's Day. And so he was, he was in like, I, th- I believe both of the Garfield movies with Bill Murray. So, no, but full disclosure, I have not seen the Garfield. My kids have seen them, but I have not seen the Garfield movies. So, you know, I, I gotta say no disrespect to Bill Murray, but to me, like to me, the, the real Garfield voice is like Lorenzo music, sure. the guy that, uh, the guy that voiced him in the Garfield and friends, uh, comics right. or car- cartoons. Mm. He was just like a really good voice actor who like, I think really like captured what the character was about. Yeah, I I loved. Now I used to watch Garfield and Friends all the time, um, so that was a little more my era. But you know, when the movies came out, I was kind of like, and I I kind of got why they tried to go with Bill Murray because I think maybe they thought he sort of had that a similar voice. Maybe I don't I don't know. But yeah. um, do you do you know the story of um why and how Bill Murray was Garfield in the Garfield movies? No. no. So, um, he, so Bill Murray is a guy that famously doesn't, um, like he's hard to get a hold of in Hollywood. He doesn't, he like, he, I, he, I think like doesn't have an agent or manager. He's got like a phone number that you call to, to pitch a project to him and then if he likes it, he'll call you back. So he's not, he's not like a guy that's very like, I guess, um, you know, in tune finger on the pulse of kind of what's happening in Hollywood. So he, um, like got asked to do the, the Garfield movie and he looked at the script and saw that I think Chris Farrelly wrote it. Um, who he saw that on the script and he was like, "Oh, it's a Farrelly brother." Farrelly brother. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Oh, like Farrelly brother, like a Garfield Farrelly brothers movie." I am so on board for this. Not even going to read the script. I'm totally in. And then he like started recording it, and he was just like, "Oh, this is like a little. It's like." you know, isn't really what I expected from the Farrelly brothers. And then somebody pulled him aside and they were like, 
he's not a Fairley brother. He just <laughs> his last name is Fairley. And he was just like, well, I guess I signed on for two of these. <laughs> oh, man. that's actually kind of a wonderful story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like it is kind of like what you want about how Bill Murray, <laughs> yeah, was Garfield. Is it's because he thought it was a Fairley brothers movie and didn't look into it and just said yes. Oh man, so I know Kev had talked about like um, we're probably going to do a little discussion on like comic strips and stuff. So were you like, besides Garfield, I mean, were you a fan of like comic strips and stuff growing up or was it just a uh, more of a cartoon sort of thing, your background or like, what were some of your inspirations? So, um, I would say that I don't think that I was ever really a, like, you know, open up the newspaper every day and like read the funny pages kind of person. But I do think that I'm somebody that like gravitated towards specific, weird comic strips so um like garfield was something that i discovered through the garfield books i think that the far side for me is probably my biggest we were just talking about that yeah yeah yeah, like i remember i forget exactly how i kind of came across the far side it might have been something where like maybe it was like the one time i read the sunday paper or something like that and like saw far side comic and thought it was funny but i bought a 365 day far side calendar Mm -hmm like shortly after that and basically just treated it like a comic strip and just read the entire thing in one day and thought it was the funniest thing ever, which is, you know, not what you're supposed to do with 365 day calendars. Um, cause then I was like, oh, I've already seen these, you know, when the actual day passed, but, um, you know, the far side, uh, by Gary Larson was just such a weird ahead of its time strip that like just captured kind of like the absurdist humor that like, I think I've grown to gravitate toward more as like an adult. Like, mm-hmm. I remember there was a far side strip that, like, I still remember to this day being probably the hardest I have ever laughed at something, which is, um, it's a, uh, the strip is like a dog pushing a lawnmower in somebody's yard. And it's done a really shitty job of mowing this lawn. There's just weird circles. <laughs> it's cut really uneven. And the owner of the dog is standing on the porch of the house screaming, bad dog, no biscuit. <laughs> Which, like, the implication is he trained this dog to mow the lawn and he's not going to reward the dog because the dog did not do a good job mowing the lawn. And, like, I probably laughed, like, for 10 minutes straight while crying at the strip as a kid. That's, uh, that is my upbringing. So that, like, all the adults around me, that is the sort of humor that was, like, pushed on me when I was a child. So now when my friends ask questions, it's like, listen. Like, I can't help what I think is funny, but that to me is one of the funniest things I've heard today. So I'm just saying. Yeah. And like something that was really cool and I guess like full circle for me is um, I I went to Washington State University to, um, you know, train to be like, you know, a TV news reporter weather guy I mentioned earlier. And I didn't realize it until I was there. But that's where Gary Larson went to college. Oh, There's really? A, there's a big custom Gary Larson far side print like on the wall of Beasley Coliseum, which is sort of the basketball arena on the campus. That's like this huge mural made by Gary Larson. That's like framed on a wall in the basketball stadium. And I think that like he actually like the name of the, the, the name, the far side, I think is referring to that Eastern Washington is like on the far side of the state of Washington state. It's like right next to the Idaho border. And presumably he grew up in Western Washington. So like the, the strip is even kind of named after him going to WSU a little bit. And, uh, and like all the characters, like there are a lot of cows and stuff like, and like farm animals in the strip 
are like directly referenced by him kind of like going to college spe- specifically on the Palouse, which is like very much like, you know, it's a lot of like prairies and farms and stuff like that. And um, I remember like seeing this and just, you know, as a huge Farside fan growing up and just being like amazed of like, oh, I'm going to the same place that the Farside guy went to college. And um, afterwards, I um, after I graduated, I even like sent him just like a fan email on his Farside website that was just like, hey, I'm a big fan. I graduated. I went graduated from WSU, same as Gary Larson. I really want to work in comedy. I'd love to, you know, get coffee with Gary Larson to, you know, just like talk about you know, how big of a fan I am. And um, I uh, got a response back from uh, presumably his lawyer saying, do not email, do not email Gary Larson. He will not talk to fans. (laughs) To me, I think is the funniest possible (laughs) response from Gary Larson (laughs) is something from his legal team asking me not to email them about fan requests. Maybe. Or maybe he wrote it himself thinking he was being really funny. (laughs) I mean, regardless, like it makes it makes me laugh that it was just like that it was like. Just a hard no. No, (laughs) it's pretty. I could totally see that in one of his script, you know, comic strips. (laughs) I could totally see that. Oh man, yeah, yeah. yeah. He seems like a. He seems just like a crotchety weird man. Yeah, and I know he he retired for like a long time. I don't think he's. I I think maybe he does it like releases on his online now, and that's it. I don't think he does. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, like he stopped producing the strip in like the early to mid nineties, I think. Yeah. And um he honestly just like got really hardcore into I think like conservation efforts. So I think well, that's he's cool. a guy that's just very involved in like nonprofits to like save the animals and stuff like that. Yeah, and nice. um but but yeah, he um he started making far side comics again, yeah, specifically just on his website like last year or something like yeah, that. And there's I not heard- a bunch. There's maybe like four or five new ones and they're all great. <laughs> he said they're all great it's cool though yeah. to know that when he stopped he you know he stopped for good reason you know when did some other right. cool stuff so that's that's good to hear at least you know i mean i guess it's it's his life he can stop whenever he wants to <laughs> you know but yeah, it's cool I'm to sure know he did something a lot of money it, on like you know our oh, side calendars oh, God, and yeah like, so he's probably i'm sure he's doing fine you know yeah he's not hurting for money probably yeah. not who would have thought it <laughs> who would have thought it <laughs> i'm gonna write this comic strip and uh you know so when you write, do you find, like, do you have a preference? Do you prefer writing, like, is there a difference between writing, like, for cartoons versus live action skits? Or, and if so, do you prefer one over the other? Or, uh, I would say that they're, 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 they're the same, they're the same thing. Like, storytelling is storytelling, you know, like, um, like, regardless of whether it's like live action or animated or like, regardless of what genre it is, you're still just like trying to tell a compelling story. Um, I think that the um, the differences between animation and live action are more like with animation, you can like literally do anything. Um, so you could write the sun explodes and then turns into uh, a giant pair of lips and then it kisses the protagonist and then flies away. <laughs> and it's like, that's just as that's just as easy in animation as writing. They walk down the street, you know, like um, I think that with live action, um, there are like a couple of things like that that are like, I would say like, you know, like y- you can't necessarily write like a helicopter flies in in live action without, you know, immediately upping the budget of the thing that you're writing by a million dollars. But in animation, that's just like another thing for the artist to draw or make. I mean, and um, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say the only person I could think who could get away with that is like maybe Terry Gilliam. Because like, you know, then the sun turns into a pair of lips and kisses you. Like, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's just like that's something that. Monty Python, it um, works. It's fine. But you're right. Like, I never really thought a, about it that way before. But you're right. You can get away if you watch that in a cartoon. You're not you're you're not going to think much. And in live action, you're going to be like, "What is happening here?" <laughs> so well, the, the thing with animation is if you do that in if you do that in live action, somebody's going to have to animate it. It's just going to be CG. So sure. It's like I think that that's I think that that that's also a weird thing about like animation and live action being basically the same thing. Is like what percentage of Marvel movies are CG animated now? You know. You know. I think and, that. Like, a lot. They That's, say we're going to do a live action of the Lion King. I'm like, are you really though? <laughs> it's like, is yeah. it? Yeah, it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, the same. It's it's the same. Actually, yeah. I'm just going to say it's it's the it's with where we are in technology. It's the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, like it, it's more like um, the differences more come for like the length of what you're writing. Yeah. And like there, like there are certain things that you might do if like you're writing a kid's 11 minute show. You you're probably not going to have like a B or a C story just because there's not like time for it. Um, but it's like, you know, the show Invincible and the show Walking Dead, like narratively are the same thing. It's just one is animated and one is live action, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, again, never really stopped and thought of it that way. But yeah, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I think that for preference, like I'm somebody that's, uh, you know, like I'm kind of just cool with whatever best fits the thing that I want to make, you know? So um, like I'm uh, something that I've done a lot of recently is writing like sort of comedy animated PSAs. And um, I just released one with Comedy Central a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago. Um, and um, what I like about that is that like the animated PSA style, just like it just feels very specific in tone. It's like something that you could see like before a movie or like that you'd have to watch before class in like the 70s or something like right. that, you know? Mm -hmm. And like when you do that, there's like a specific vibe that like you can kind of use to like bounce jokes off of. Um, but then I've got like like a short film that's going through festivals right now that's live action that like kind of feels like, oh, yeah, I would like probably not want to tell that story animated because like it just feels more real to just, you know, go into a location and shoot it, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just kind of like it, they're all mediums and it's just sort of like, you know, do you want to paint a picture using oil paint or watercolors? It's just kind of like whatever fits best for the picture, you know. So do you act in your short film? <laughs> Uh, so the uh, the um, live action short, uh, no, I got a good actor to act. <laughs> um, the uh, I did I did star in the Comedy Central short though because I was just providing voices, which felt you know easy and within my wheelhouse. Um, so you've done you say I know you say you've done a little bad acting and that's okay. Uh, there's a lot of real famous bad actors out there, but <laughs> that is true. Uh, what else have you done? Have you you've done some producing, correct? Uh, yeah. So I've um. I've produced a lot of those um, animated shorts that I've made. Um, uh, I would say like most of my, most of my energy is probably put toward writing. Okay. I do a little bit of directing. I was going to ask yeah, about directing. And then, and then um, producing is sort of one of those things where like, um, I mean, I guess I'm like a consulting producer on spirit Rangers right now. So I'm like, you know, I'm a producer is in my title, but um I think that for my own projects, I'm often a producer just because it's more like a producer is basically just a term for like the person who does the work to get the thing made. Sure. So like mm. when I, um, I, I had an animated short that went through uh, the film festival circuit a couple of years ago. And like, I was like writer, director, producer of that. And producer just meant that like I hired 
the animator and I hired the voice actor and, um, you know, was the person who coordinated like when we were recording and stuff like that. And then like the director side of the job is like, oh, I'm the person that like gave the actor acting notes and made the call on which cuts, which takes we were going to use as performance and gave the animator animating notes. And, um, you know, so it's it's basically uh, when you when you come up through like digital sketch comedy um, where like you don't you might not necessarily have the budget for like you know, a big crew or something like that. You kind of find yourself just doing a lot of stuff. Sure. And, um, you know, it's like you might be acting in it, but then you also might be editing it. Um, and uh, I think that, like, for a lot of folks that came up through that, we're, like, also kind of producers just by necessity of we have to to get the thing made, you know? I think probably that happens a lot in certain fields. I think people don't always think about it. I, I assume people think you just walk in. Like when somebody kind of gets famous for doing something, it's like people just assume they just got famous for doing it. And really there's probably a lot of work going on behind the scenes and you probably find yourself wearing a lot of different hats just to get where you get. I don't think everybody always thinks about it that way, but you know, I yeah, can imagine when, that happens when there a lot. Is, there is also like, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that for people, they oftentimes view like, yeah, if somebody just like pops up in the media as just like, oh, this person like just rolled out of bed and right. are now a TV writer or it's starring on a TV show or whatever. And I think that for so many people, it's like it took me like it took me a decade of doing that kind of stuff before I got my first like TV staff writing job on like a show that was like union level. So, you know, it's like, you know, it is just kind of like the hustle of getting started and like having to put a lot of your own you know, work and money into projects and shorts and things like that, that like is what then gets you eventually those writing jobs and directing jobs and stuff in the future, you know? So you do, you do a lot for cartoons. I mean, were cartoons something that you were really intrigued? Like, was the idea of that always on the forefront? I mean, or did, I know we kind of asked that before, but were you, were you like inspired by cartoons growing up? Was, were they always a big thing in your wheelhouse or was this just sort of like, Hey, it happened. So it happened. Uh, so I would say for me, um, I, I always loved cartoons growing up. Like I definitely, you know, like I mentioned, you know, the Simpsons family guy and stuff like that. I was super into, and, um, you know, I think I also was definitely, I definitely grew up in the age of Saturday morning cartoons sure. and like, you know, like after school cartoons, like Batman, the animated series and stuff like that. And like the Nicktoons lineup. So I think that, I think that cartoons are just in my like comedy DNA of like, just what I loved growing up. Cool. So like when I moved to LA, it wasn't like specifically to like working cartoons, but like as my career has sort of like focused in that direction a little bit, it really feels like something that's just like, Oh, this makes all the sense in the world. That right. This is where I'm at. Right. I, mean, so, I, can, um, I can see the comedy background being able to influence that really well. Like I could see where those things would play into part really well. I mean, it's, I thought it was funny earlier when you said, you know, your college professors were like, you know, you could just go into comedy. And I'm thinking, like, what are they trying to tell me here? <laughs> like, do I act up too much in class? Like, what do you say? Yeah. But, but all oh, of yeah, that, yeah, yeah. all of that plays really well into, into, into the career you've, you've found yourself in. So, you know, it yeah, works. it's, it's sort of a, like, it's like you, um, th- this is something that, like I, I, I do sometimes where like, I'll kind of look back on like, what I'm doing in my career. And then I'll look back on like, you know, like weird bits that I did in like talent shows in high school or whatever. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like that, the skill set that I developed there definitely like far down the line has like, is like, it's like 
that's like that was like half a step into the direction of <laughs> you know now writing for Looney Tunes or whatever you know like um, yeah it is just like cool to see like it's just like all of your life experiences and all the things that you like are kind of what build into like the DNA of like what you are as a person right you know so you know for me I think that like I I, th- I think that seeing that there's a lot of like cartoon in there it's just like oh yeah that that tracks you know <laughs> he's like that makes right. sense that works yeah yeah. <laughs> Now, you've worked with the Upright Citizens Brigade, and when you were with them, you've done quite a lot to kind of help uh, bring in more minorities into the field. Um, And you've also been an outspoken advocate for indigenous people in the industry. Uh, Do you think there's, uh, you know, a lot of support for that? And uh, do you think the industry is getting better about that? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was like definitely a long road, I think. like, uh, let's see, um, like I moved to LA in 2010 and I think even in 2010, I feel like there wasn't really, um, I would say much awareness of like native folks and not a lot of native folks getting like good opportunities in the media. Um, Mm. like I think around then there was maybe at any given time, three or four Mm. native TV writers working in TV in all of Hollywood of thousands and thousands of working TV writers, like not, not three on one show, three total. So like, um, and you know, I, I think that for me, like I, like I, I've, uh, I'm, I mentioned I'm in rural Cowlitz. I grew up on the Tulalip reservation and, um, while I was at WC, I was like a mentor for the native student center. I, um, I'm somebody that's like been passionate about my culture for um, a long time. And like when I moved to Hollywood, like before I um, like before I even Googled like what the UCB was, I Googled just like Native American TV writers and saw um, the WGA was putting on a panel where there was one native TV writer on the panel. So I like went to the panel, you know, maybe like a month into living in Los Angeles, introduced myself to him. His name's Jason Gavin. He's great. And he was like, oh, you're like another native like here, like, let me introduce you to like the whole community. Um, So, you know, while I've been very involved in native Hollywood pretty much since I stepped foot in L.A. um, and I was like making my way up at the UCB, I started to realize like, oh, I know all of these like funny native comedians who are um, doing stuff in sort of native Hollywood spaces and then looking at UCB and realizing, oh, I'm the only native person to ever get on a house team in the history of UCB in Los Angeles. So like I'm seeing all these funny native comedians who are just not getting opportunities. So I like, you know, probably as early as like 2014, 2015 was asking the theater, um, like, Hey, can we do like a native comedy showcase to like, you know, sh- to showcase all these great native comedy talents and like, you know, to get natives involved in the theater. Cause at this point I'm the only one. And, um, there was honestly like a lot of weird pushback. Like I remember, mm. um, something that I heard, um, in I want to say 2015 2016 from the artistic director at the time was that there was uh he didn't think that there was any time on the schedule to do an hour-long native comedy show meanwhile he booked seven Star Wars bit shows in one week (laughs) so it's like oh you couldn't do six Star Wars bit shows and give like one hour to like native people for the first time in UCB right um so you know this is like something that I really was passionate about and asked the theater about and tried to push the theater to do for literally probably like five or six years. And um, finally in 2018, um, the sort of the regime, there was a regime change at UCB. There was a new artistic director um, in charge. And I, you know, pitched the idea to her 
and she was super into it and also was like, why have we not done this before? So I um, uh, did it in 2018 on a Columbus Day because when else would it be? And um, <laughs> it was a it was a great show. It was, a, you know, probably, you know, two dozen native comedians doing the show. It was a sellout standing room only crowd. Um, it was the first time that UCB had ever done, an, you know, an all native comedy show in their like 20 year history as a theater. And um you know, it was uh, like we then did another one in 2019, which um, like kind of buzz had started about it. And the first one got a lot of media press. So um, a lot of like Hollywood producers and agents and managers went to the second one. And a lot of those comedians on the second show that we did got, you know, writing jobs on TV shows, cast in you know TV shows and got a lot of really great opportunities out of it. And, um, you know, like I think that that's something that is just a small example of, I think, the greater awareness of, like, the need for native representation in Hollywood. Like, I mentioned mm -hmm. that um, Spirit Rangers is the first kids' show, um, kids' animated series about native people um, created by a native person. Like, the first two TV shows created by native people uh, in the history of U.S. television came out last year. <laughs> wow. So uh, it's Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs. They're both great. You should definitely check them out. Um, Rutherford Falls is on Peacock. Reservation Dogs is on FX. And, and you know, like, I, so I think that we're in just this, like, I would say, beautiful moment where people are finally starting to realize that, like, native stories should be told. Because, yes. like, in this country, yeah. you know, I mean, like, this is probably not news to anybody listening, but it's like there was like a several hundred year long campaign of genocide against right. Native people. And, you know, that's something that we're like still feeling the effects of today. And I think that it's really cool to see like non-Natives finally realizing that like the Native perspective is something that like, you know, hasn't been seen in the media and like should be seen in the media. So, you know, like I feel like for me, um, like I'm getting these opportunities and I've like worked hard to try to like signal boost other native comedians and native talents. But like, I'm also aware that I'm doing that on the back of like hundreds of years of, or a hundred years of activism of like other native folks who have sure. built for us to get to this point. Right. And um, you know, it's just, I, I, I feel really lucky to even be like a small figure in whatever this, you know, time in native representation is, you know? And I think that's amazing actually. I mean, I I like when like we, I mean we were just talking about Gary Larson when people use like you found a certain amount of 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 fame and, and and a certain amount of success and rather than just say well you know I did it you're 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 trying to pay that forward you're trying to show pave the path for other people and show that they can do this too and it speaks volumes I think so no I think that's wonderful I think it's wonderful so well yeah for, yeah for sure like I think that my you know, when I first moved to LA, my goal was just to like make funny stuff that I'm proud of that like I can work on with people that I like and stuff. And um, now I think that that's switched to a little bit of like, you know, wanting to make, you know, cool things I'm proud of with people I like, but also like kind of remembering like how I felt not seeing any native comedians on TV and thinking that I couldn't like work in comedy because of that. And like trying to focus my work a little bit more on like you know, creating stories that can maybe show like marginalized folks that like they have the permission to dream that like, I didn't think I had growing up, you yeah. know? No, that's uh, like said is fantastic. You, you found a voice and now you're using it. I think that's great. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. It feels, uh, uh it feels good. Um, <laughs> so basically, yeah, my, I would say my time is like 
you know, look, when I'm not thinking about Garfield, I'm thinking about that. So that's maybe 5% of my brain power. The other 95% is thinking about Garfield. Garfield. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair. Um, so we, we only have a couple more questions for you. I know, I know you need to get going here in a minute. Um, the, the, one of the big questions, and it's kind of the cheesy question, but uh, do you have any any dream projects? Anything that if you could work on or create or, or relaunch something, what, it, would there be anything you could think of? Uh, so, yeah, I... I think that I'm in a fortunate point in my career right now where it's like, I feel like everything I'm working on right now is kind of a dream project. So it's like, like I mentioned Spirit Rangers that I'm working on that. That's wild. And like that, that's going to come out this year and people are going to watch it. And it's like, you know, like historic in terms of native representation, but also just like a real good show that I'm very proud of. Like that's a dream project. I've got a bunch of other like, you know, things that I'm kind of like working on that are sort of in the ether that I, you know, like, uh, can't wait for the, you know, the world to see, you know, assuming that they all, you know, get green lit and sold and come out and stuff like that. Um, I think that, uh, let's see, uh, I'm trying to think of like specific things. I, I would say that my white whale in the entertainment industry is I really want to write an episode of the Simpsons just cause it's like, that was like my show growing up, you know, <laughs> and it's still going. And like to be able to write a Simpsons episode would be like, you know, such a cool full circle thing for me. And then other than that, it's like, I would love to, um, like I, I mentioned putting together that UCB show that I would like produced and put together and also ho- co-hosted with a bunch of great folks. Like, I would love to see like an all native sketch show on TV Mm -hmm. or like an all native, you know, comedy showcase on or comedy showcase special on like Netflix or something like that. You know, something that can kind of take like what we did with the UCB show and like do it for a bigger audience that like really shows the world that these like super funny native comedians exist and are doing great work. You know, I'd watch it. (laughs) I would watch it. Yeah, that's one. That's one. I got it. I love like I love any kind of comedy special, any kind of stand up, but getting different perspectives and uh, in different cultures, different like I want to learn, and comedy is one of the best ways I find to learn because it's a it's a really comfortable door to open up for people, gets them in there, and I totally would I'd be down for it. <laughs> so make it happen. We need to reach out to the ether. We need that to happen. We need him uh, a. Uh, we need the Simpsons people. Can you can you please get a hold of Joey? Uh, he wants to write. Yeah, an Matt, Matt Groening, if you're listening to this, if you could just right. please, yeah, yeah. Just like, let me let me write one Simpsons episode, just one. That's all I'm asking. First of all, Matt Groening, if you're listening to this, please call, contact us. Um, yeah. <laughs> we we want to talk to you, but uh, I I think you'd do great at writing a Simpsons episode. Man. Oh yeah, like 100. Oh, percent Totally seems like oh, it, it'd be perfect for you. So that that should happen sometime soon. I think so. Look, I feel the same way. <laughs> Let's put it on our vision board. <laughs> Yay. We'll manifest it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you've kind of already kind of already done, you know, we always have that, that last kind of follow-up question uh, that everyone hates, but you get it anyway. You know, what, what are some big projects you're working on? But we kind of already know what you're working on right now, what's about to come out. But like, can you tell our listeners whether they can find out more about you, where they can uh, kind of keep up with your projects as they come out? Or, or I know you've done some other podcasts and some interviews and stuff. Uh, maybe where they could go check that stuff out. Yeah, I I feel like I'm really bad about um, like I need I, I guess a lot of podcasts, but I don't have like one place where it's just like, oh, yeah, here's like the list of all the podcasts that I've been on or whatever. <laughs> but um, 
I uh, so I, I would say the best way to keep track of me would probably be to follow me on Twitter at Joey Tainment and to follow me on Instagram at Joey Clift with like five or six eyes. The reason for that is that um, a 12 year old took Joey Clift with one eye. So I just had to deal. Uh, now he's probably 20. So I feel like I could probably beat him up and take my name back. Uh, and he also hasn't posted since 2014. I'm so oh, mad about this. Come on, oh. man. They should have some kind um, but, of rule where at some point it just drops off. Like nobody's using it, it just fades away. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like if you made one Instagram post in 2010 and have not used your Instagram since, that should be like up for grabs. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you can follow me on social media. Um, um, yeah, Spirit Rangers comes out later this year. Um, so look out for that on Netflix. And then um, I've got a short film currently going through the festival circuit called um, My First Native American Boyfriend that's. Um, probably screening near a festival in a festival near you. And um, that'll be online later this year. So follow me on social media to check that out. Yeah, I've got a bunch of other like, you know, animated shorts and things that you can uh, check out on my website, joeyclip.com. And we'll we'll tag you when we're putting this up as well. And that way our listeners can can grab hold of your uh, your Twitter feed and things like that as well. We like to. Hell yeah. Uh, we like to, uh, yeah. try to keep people. I also want to promote, uh, listen to this podcast. It's great. It's really fun. <laughs> Uh, thank you. you I, yeah. And I'm sure you got a ton on your plate, but have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? Um, I've actually had my own podcast a few times. In uh, 2016, I hosted a podcast called 25 Minutes of Silence. I, I, that, that one I, I knew about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, very fun. I got and I got big guests. I got like an astronaut on it. I got um, a, uh, let's see, um, I got like the creator of Maniac Mansion. I got like Emmy winning writers. I got like a 2016 presidential candidate. Um, <laughs> wow. That was a, a very fun show to take part of. Um, I, I actually, I got an email from Bob Zamuda. Um, wow. Bob Zamuda, the writing partner of, um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Andy, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman. Uh, his, Bob Zamuda's assistant emailed me to tell me that Bob Zamuda heard of the podcast and thought it was funny. And I was like, oh, that's dope. that makes that makes All a right. lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That is a very and, Kaufman uh, thing to do, actually. So <laughs> um, so I, I hosted that and then I um, hosted a pro wrestling podcast for like a year or two around kind of the same time, 20, 2015, 2016. I like podcasting is a really fun medium. I definitely it's definitely in the back of my mind is like. Oh, that like when, you know, if I had some free time hosting a podcast would be fun. So I, I don't have anything that's like in the works now, but I could also see myself starting a podcast in, you know, a year or two or whatever. If my schedule slows down because I mean, it's, it's a fun medium to yeah, play. And you have a good voice and you, you're funny and, you know, you tell good stories. You'd be great at it. So. Oh, thanks. Thank you. I if it ever happens, it. let I, us know. We'll, uh... I've, I've <laughs> fooled you for one hour. <laughs> We we actually really appreciate your time. Man. Normally, my voice sounds like this. <laughs> that would have been great too. That'd have been okay with me. <laughs> hey, everybody, I love Garfield. Native people are cool. <laughs> hey, that's good Simpson voice talent right there. So I'm telling you, Matt Granning, give send me an email. You know how to follow me on social media now, Matt Granning. It's not that hard, right? Oh man! Well, we really appreciate your time, and it was it was a lot of fun talking to you. Um, yeah, hopefully, we can uh, catch up with you again sometime. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Jason. This was super fun. Listen up, tapeworms! The mixtape podcast wants you. Drop us an email: your mixtape podcast at gmail dot com, or leave a voicemail. 
513 he read 77. That's 513-437-2377. All the cool kids are doing it. You want to be cool, don't you? All right, <laughs> welcome back. And yeah, I'm, we're, <laughs> we're further ahead than you thought we were. It's dude. coming. That's right. That's how we're coming. I was back. wondering when you did the other one earlier. Oh like, God! But I didn't say anything. So. I hope you guys okay. enjoyed the interview. <laughs> As you can see, uh, stuff goes on uh, behind the scenes while you guys are listening. We're we're probably over here talking shit to each other. That's what we do. Uh, really fun interview though. Uh, Joey's a great dude and really hope you guys enjoyed it. Go check him out. Um, Matt, like we said, there's a, he, that episode of 25 minutes or um, podcast, 25 minutes of silence where he just gets a celebrity guest on the show and then they sit in silence for 25 minutes. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yes. All right. And I guess it did really well. So weird. <laughs> so maybe that's what we're doing wrong. We just need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> like I wish you guys would do twenty five fucking minutes of silence, <laughs> assholes. Yeah, we can't even do twenty five seconds of silence uh, without somebody making some dumbass or burping. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so again, we really appreciate you guys coming over and listening. Uh, more interviews to come in the future. We have some really cool stuff lined up. We will tease those uh, so you kind of know what's going on without knowing what's going on. And the best place to find that stuff out is on our social media. See, we are on Twitter. Yeah. We are on Instagram. We are even on TikTok. We are on Facebook. Facebook, we are Tapeworms, fans of the Mixtape Podcast. Twitter, I think we are Get the... that MySpace up and running, though. <laughs> yeah, I know somebody that still has their MySpace login, by the way. Get get their Zanga up to date. True story. I never had Zanga. I actually did. Twitter, we are the underscore mix underscore tape underscore pod, or it's just mix underscore tape underscore pod. I don't know. Instagram, I think we're just the Mixtape Podcast. Right, two words. Is that how you find it on there? I don't know. You know where to find it? You go to the website. Hit the link tree. Yeah, it's on the link tree. Find yeah. it there. Or, you know, if you don't want all of it, there's just a little cl- click thing. You can click Instagram, and it'll take you to Instagram and all that. And that is themixtapepod.com. That's where you can find us online. Uh, you should go check those things out. We talk a lot. We're also on TikTok, and um, when we have stuff coming out, like we did the Stephen Tobolowsky episode, we, we release little snippets there. By the way, that that did really well, Matt. So they are exclusive. It's the only place you can hear that is on our social media. So they will not be released anywhere else. Yep. Well, or if you ask me nicely and you're one of my coworkers or something, I'll just show it to you. Or just phone. randomly yeah. email him and ask for it. He'll probably send hey, it too. It's fine. Hey, check what I just made. Check this guy's this. out. I'm very excited. Aren't you supposed to be working? I was. I was just working on something else. I made this this morning before I came to work. Don't worry. I was <laughs> off the clock. Um, yeah, that's what I always say too. <laughs> No, I mean, except for me, it genuinely was. It was like, oh, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, didn't need to. Oh, might as well work on some social media stuff. <laughs> I know that feeling very well. You just wake up yeah. and you're like, hey, I guess I'll, go down I'll to the work basement, on the podcast. Have some coffee, work on the podcast stuff. Uh, so pay but attention. Super tired. Pay attention is what we're saying. Pay attention to the social media because we yeah. release info on there and you can kind of get a feel for things that are coming up in the future. And we do have some really cool interviews and some really cool events we're working on. So check it out. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, do you guys got anything? 
I'm, I'm good. Currently. I, I just, sometimes I like asking the question because I like getting that long pause where you guys search your brains. <laughs> like, like, did, did uh, you leave anything out? Uh, uh, probably. Nope. Sounds like you didn't. Probably. You, have, you never know. That's yeah. okay. You know, you uh, know what you do? Spotify playlist thing, you know, that's up there. You know what you do? But, you uh, keep listening to the show. That way, if we leave something out, you'll get it on the next episode. Like Matt said, go back yeah. and listen to the old episodes because we tell you stuff yeah. on there too. Yeah. Uh, write us, let right us know what's... Kevin number two's multiple characters. He's apparently established <laughs> over time. Uh, write us your mixtape podcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you would like to hear on upcoming episodes, uh, different show topics. We got a lot of cool stuff planned. Keep in mind, we do a lot of things. We do most things, eighties and nineties as our foundation, but we'll talk about a little bit of everything in the end. Cause that's what we do. We are a mix tape. Hence the name mix tape, not mixtape mix tape. Uh, so that's it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and let you guys go this evening. Stick around. We'll be back in probably about a week. We've got, uh, upcoming, we have, uh, more songs you didn't know were remakes coming up and a lot more fun shit. So stick around, listen to us, tell your friends about us, share us with everyone you know. That's it. Until next time we speak, remember to always stay Stay awesome. awesome. So professional. Ladies and gentlemen, Garfield and friends. Friends are there. To help you get started, to give you a push on your way. Friends are there. To turn you around, get your feet on the ground for a brand new day. They'll pick you up when you're down. Help you swallow your pride when something inside's got to break on through to the other side. Friends are someone you can open up to When you feel like you're ready to flip When you've got the world on your shoulders Friends are there to give you a tip Friends are there when you need them They're even there when you go For a walk in the park or a shot in the dark Friends are there I don't care So if someone wants you to change the channel, kids, just say no. What we're doing right now is audio perfection. Amen. For sure. <laughs> right.